Welcome to Tilt Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking pitfalls in communication. Spotlight, we'll take a look at some new high oleic beans. Egg History Minute, we'll talk about the first Christmas tree farm. Cool beans, that's corny. We'll have some current events and we'll wrap things up with a Field Good Friday. With me today are Bill Schomberg. Hey guys. Todd Schomberg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. I hope Santa's got wheels because there's no snow for his sleigh to Zero. <laughs> El Nino just keeps going, doesn't it? Yes, the which is Spanish for the Nino. Yes, it is for those who are unaware. Yeah, it's been uh, keeping us fairly brown for this Christmas. I thought Santa had a sleigh, not a boogie-woogie choo-choo train. It's a song Todd found. Yes, this is quite the song. By the tractors. So it's fitting. Yes. Santa driving a tractor. Well, I actually did see on X today some John Deere dealership had, and the local Service Motors has done the same thing with Kubotas. Yes. But they had a bunch of reindeer ah. in front of a uh, red combine. Nice. And then the front one was an articulated track tractor with a really big spotlight in the front. Nice. And that was, was it red? Santa was it a red reindeer. spotlight? No, the spotlight was not red. But yeah, Service Motors did the same thing. They had a big case tr- loader tractor with a bunch of little Kubotas in front. Like UTVs in front. It's pretty classy. Yeah. Yeah. There's well, tractors. There are tractors, too. Tractors. I think yeah. the very front's a UTV. But yeah, and then they had lights strung along the... That's been up for a while here in town on Service Motors. That one's been around, I think, all of the month of December, pretty much. Santa was driving the automated floor cleaner at Walmart the other day. <laughs> <laughs> they got one of them big floor cleaner yeah. things that must just... Oh, they put a stuffed Santa. Yeah, those yeah, are they, like robots now. Yeah. yeah, like it senses the aisles it was just the a big people. guy with a beard that was right. driving it. Right. No, it was like out of the corner of my eye. I'm like, oh, somebody's driving the floor cleaner. You know, he didn't think nothing of it. And then I had to double take when it actually looked like... Hey, wait a minute. That's like a stuffed Santa, Santa on the uh, floor cleaner thing. I saw Santa on a motorcycle this week. And then he was like, you saw Santa? Yeah, I did. I saw Santa and he had like too. The Grinch riding with him and all kinds of stuff. And then he was pulling over and get people to donate to something. So Yeah, we took the kids and did our annual Santa thing this, uh, this Monday. So we got to go see... Santa and talk to him a little bit and see how things you, are going. Did you sit on his lap, Matt? Tell him what you wanted. I did not sit on his lap, but uh, no, that, it was a good time. That was extra. Yeah, I'm a little old to be sitting on Santa's lap. <laughs> I do still believe, but I will not sit on your lap. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, basically, it rain in 50 degrees. Yeah, all Christmas. weekend, too. It's supposed like, to rain like every day. Yeah. Today was foggy and it's misty, and feel very weird for Christmas. It'll be like Easter weather, right? It really is more yeah. spring weather than than winter weather. And we just had the winter solstice yesterday, so mm-hmm. oh yeah, I yep. missed it. Yeah, yesterday twenty first of was the actual winter solstice. December is the winter solstice, shortest so day of the year. Shortest day of the year is over, so it can only go up from here. 
Except today didn't feel any longer. No, well, today was... That was the other weird thing is how much sunlight we've been getting this month. Yeah. Compared to normally, you know, it's cloudy and overcast. Today right, it was cloudy right, and, and overcast. It's dark by five at night and dark yeah. in the morning and then cloudy. Yeah. yeah. So you're right, Matt. It's been more sunny and windy at times, quite windy. So hopefully if you know someone who has seasonal depression issues, it's been a better year for them so far with the improved weather that way. But yeah, just kind of a crazy, I mean, it's hard to believe that Christmas is a day away. Christmas Eve, anyway. Yes. Depends. So what do you guys consider Christmas? Is Christmas Eve Christmas yes. for you or oh, is it yeah. Christmas Day? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. so a lot of people, when they talk about Christmas, it's Christmas Day. Like, oh, I can't wait for Christmas. I'm like, well, yeah. Can you can you open presents on Christmas Eve or do you wait for everything? We do both because we, yeah. we get together with a couple families. Matt told me before he's got like a three-day... Three-day Christmas, yes. Marathon. I don't or... have a break. I have, yeah. <laughs> I'm like double days. Christmas break. Family visits. Double dipping on some days I, even. I feel like a politician, you know. I feel like I go <laughs> shake hands with all the family across these three days. But, uh, and one, and then a bonus one next weekend, so. Jeez. Yeah, I, I don't really get a break so much as like just a lot of, a lot of butt time in the car going from one place to the next. I'm too old to get presents at every place, so it's not like it's even yeah. that worth it for me anymore. Jeez. It's <laughs> in there, arms crossed. All pissed off. I get old-fashioned. Don't get me wrong. Ooh, yeah. okay. I, get, well, okay. I get rewarded, but... Yes, that's... Well, yeah. tom- tomorrow's BYOB, so... What you bringing? I don't know. I don't... Might have to stop tonight, because I, I don't have much in the much old the refrigerator. <laughs> so... Find something I like. There's one thing I don't have to worry about what they're going to have. Do you share, or is it you just drink what you bring? Like you can't, you're like got your arms around your six pack and like get no, away, I'll, get I'll away. Share. This I'll is share, mine. and sometimes some of the my wife's uncles will share too. Somebody will bring a bottle of something, and it'll make the rounds. But yeah, I'm not I'm not above sharing with my in laws. It's Christmas. I know sharing is caring, Bill. I know. I'm just it's BYOB, so I didn't know if you just hung on to your own or if you swapped. That that would be an interesting way to do a Christmas swap. Just, just bring put a, put a bring, bunch of drinks and, and gifts and trade them around and see who gets good ones. That sounds like awesomeness. Write that down. Plans for next year, May. That's the the tilth Christmas party this yes, year. Yes, there you go. Just do a drink exchange. Still happen our annual Tilth Christmas party in February. Yeah. That's an early one. That's you're right. Yeah. March, it's very early. It's that March or April. Like yes. It's been other years. Of course, we haven't planned it yet, but, you know, it'll happen. It'll happen. So busy around the holidays. That's our, like in stores right now and all that stuff. It's You think with all the online buying, like those places would be less busy. Yeah, the busy mall never and, seems to be less busy. No, it's still crazy and... I feel like ninety percent of traffic issues, right? Are Christmas shopping related, or, right or you don't want to drive around where you know there's gonna be stores? Like, oh man, it's gonna be busy. But anyway, it'll be here in a, over in a flash, right? Yes, it goes fast, and then we're into conference season, and we'll be. I know I get to visit two different states in the month of January, besides our home state here, so that'll be fun. Hopefully the weather. Hopefully we don't get the blizzard weather. Right, right. We're when we're tra- yeah. But I was thinking about that when having planning sessions this month. Was most of the time there's like 
two or three guys I have that it's almost always a lot of snow when I'm going to visit them. And this month, like, you, we haven't even had really anything to Nothing. worry about for travel. Like, it was always great. <laughs> so, yeah. The last time I saw a snowplow this year was in October. Yes, right. <laughs> right. It's not many years you get more snow in October than you get in December. So it'll, it will truly be a December to remember. But not because of buying a car, but because, because yeah. of the Maya's not of, getting a Lexus. Is that yeah, that's that is Lexus. I was trying to remember what car company that yes, was. Lexus, because you get the Toyotathon and uh, December to remember, and I feel like there's a few other ones out there too. They'll have the. You should buy your spouse a car for Christmas. GMC did one right, where the. He got her a dog. Oh, and then yeah. She oh, yeah. Pickup truck. Pick up the, like, she claps in the pickup truck. I was wondering who's driving that pickup truck, though, for your... Like, like, it's just a weird, yeah. Her boyfriend. Yeah, right. Right. And he just gets run over by this pickup truck. Yeah. That's the director's cut of that yes. commercial. SNL did a great skit on that, where they pretty much made fun of... Oh, yeah. Like, your marriage must be going that badly, and this is a bad idea, and we can't even afford this car. Yeah, the wife comes out and just, like, mad. Yeah. Why why would you do this? (laughs) Well, there was one commercial where, like, she bought him a truck, and then, or he bought her something, and then she, uh, like, they both bought each other vehicles. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That was, like, I think that was Chevy as well, and the one had a a truck, and one got, like, an SUV SUV, or whatever. Yes, with vehicle prices currently, it'd probably not be the best investment investment at this point. And yeah, I'm not sure that would be a great surprise in your marriage either. Here's here's a new vehicle. We're not able to buy groceries for like <laughs> right. six months, but I got you a vehicle. Uh, all right. Speaking of breakdowns in communication, <laughs> good segue there. So that's our topic for today, pitfalls in communications when talking to farmers or even other ag professionals. Sometimes we have breakdowns uh, during the season. So, Bill, this was was your yeah. topic. So what do you I think got? this is a good one, Bill, because we have times where as we're getting more management on farms, more levels of, of different people, people with, and all yeah. kinds of stuff in co-ops, in agronomy places like us, and, you know, there's just a bunch of different levels that communication's got to get better with that and be a constant thing that... Well, and think about too, Todd, like, you know, years ago, I mean, there was some, but years ago it was like the agronomist and the farmer, right? And and that was the person who did everything, right? They sprayed, right. They it was 300 acres and you sprayed and you chopped and you did everything. Well, now it's like four brothers run the farm, right? right? And you got, okay, one brother that's probably running the crops, but then the other three... Because that's the youngest brother that's running the crops. The other three are always... Why is it always the youngest brother running the crops? I don't know. I'm just saying, like, the (laughs) other brothers that are older are giving them crap all the time about this field or that field. And now you got four people to talk to. And anyhow, just these are things that I thought about, like, over my years of doing this. Like, here's where breakdowns to some degree, but just areas where, like, things weren't going right. Like, let's talk through that and figure out what's it, the best approach. I think that's a good approach. We're not talking about specific, like how to have better communication, how to have better communication is probably more communication right. and more precise communication. This is like spe- very specific things where you've seen that you kind of forget to communicate about or 
you got to make sure you over communicate on them. I don't think we forget to communicate necessarily. It's more, yeah, just update the communication. Yes, sometimes. true. Like true. We talked about plan A, and we might think we're on plan B and farms on plan D are right. Like yeah, let's let's get this straightened out. Yes. Preparations A through G A through G were <laughs> miserable failures, <laughs> but preparation H feels good on the whole. Ooh. Anyhow, so the first one. Uh, field borders and acres, right? Like most of the time, it's pretty self-explanatory. But there's All some right. fields. I'm already done. This is you're out. This one's the worst. This is the worst. <laughs> really, I'm like, making it little, and you're just <laughs> going right to no. It's Defcom not, one. It's not the worst, but it is a very common thing. Like, okay, you got FSA acres. You got the insurance guy's got a different set of yeah. acres, and the farmer's got a set of acres. Lately, and I got a set the one of acres. is landlord acres. Yeah, but yep. they think it's like way more than I don't know where they're getting their acreage from. Well, that's the time. because they want to charge more right, for their rent, right? right? But right, the landlord's high, the farmer's low because the farmer doesn't <laughs> want to pay more than that much rent. Planter acres, sprayer acres, GPS acres. You get in never use chopping acres. That, yeah, those no, are the worst. Yeah. So and that's what the bigger part is. Which one of these is right? And it's like, well, they're all right, and they're all wrong. Right, exactly. So, <laughs> so you got to pick one. So I don't know what the answer is to make this correct, but I think between the agronomist or the co-op person and the farmer, we just need to agree upon. Okay, on this farm, these are the acres we're going to use. It does feel like it's either like for me anyway. It's either FSA. Or GPS acres seem to be a planter acres too. It'd be the third one where mm-hmm. Spray some guys, too. yeah, okay, yeah. How many, so it's, how many so times it does you depend. overlap? Right, to, right. Just spray oh. out the twenty acres. Yeah, of stuff you got. Well, when I worked at the co-op, we would get accused of that all the time. Like, why is there three more acres? Well, that's what the sprayer came up with. We calibrate the sprayer, right? You know, but it is what it is, right? So, so yeah, that's one of the pitfalls. I think is just. We're like you get some of these fields where like maybe there's a wet hole. Okay, this this year it was dry, so we could dig into some of those spots. You know, next year might be wet. Doesn't look like it, but next year might be wet. Well, that area you can't plant. So okay, now your acres are less. And I think it for me like ordering, you know, talking to the co-op people and ordering products to be done. Like I'm always getting calls like, why are these acres different than what the farmer told me or. You know, you last map showed 160 acres, and our map shows 140. Oh, yeah, that's right, because there's 40 acres or 20 acres they sold off to the neighbor that's trees now, or, you know, just, like, updating those, too, as well as when things change. Or you're, like, this year where, yeah, we planted that extra five acres because it wasn't a miserable wet hole. Right. And we could get into it. But next year, it might be five acres less again. So when you order fertilizer for it this year, it's going to be five acres more than it normally is because normally we never can get into that spot. Yep. So that's where I think, up, you know, constant, like you said, Todd, constant communication is is a key there. Even even just deciding on a which acreage you want to use and then updating it accordingly. Yes. Do, do we want to use GPS acres in front? Which one? Which category is what you think is right? So kind of along with that, too, would be field names, which is... You're talking, we all, we you're all talking about the one that's past the <laughs> old tree on the left? Remember the tavern? About half a mile. Tavern. The tavern that hasn't been there in 30 years, and now there's a substation next to it, but we still, still call it the tavern. tavern. So, yes, that one is an interesting one, too. I, I love, like, the, like... 
concept and the like like someone could write a book about how farmers name fields like you actually could write a really cool book i think about <laughs> why you call this field this and that and so that's something too that like the farmer has a like what's easier like when you get a new customer do you change everything or do you just say i'm gonna learn like you've been calling it this way for 30 years we've tried that though on some farmers it's worked like they've been calling that forever but we're gonna number all of them or letter because yeah. jeff used to letter a lot of stuff when jeff blinsky did stuff he'd letter but then it kind of went to numbering but that too does if the farmer doesn't use that then you right. might as well abandon it because yeah. then it just gets confusing but if you use if you use the number and put their name behind the number yes that can work because then they'll call it this, and at least you still have you a record. Have, of you both. have them both. Yeah, like okay, he means field one. Yeah, that, and a lot of times it's the former landowner, right? If they buy a piece of land right. or if they rent a piece of land, it's the landowner. That's we call it that. And it's all good until they split it or combine it with something else, and then that was always the thing with Jeff's lettering system. Yes, if you, if you combine combine fields, it was like oh, no, okay. it looked really goofy. Whereas like at oh, least combining so. numbers like one and two. All of a sudden, C is gone. Well, right, and then you it's like it CD BC. or V. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, just, I have a farm that I work with that was one of Jeff's that it has a C1, C2, D1, D2. Sure, yes. But then it also has a VYW, I think is the, the one that got combined. So, Well, and then you get into that whole formatting of names with like, is it right. zero one or is yes, it one? Yes, it is zero one. If you have more than 10, it's it zero to, one. Yep. If you have more than 100, it's zero zero one. <laughs> right. So yeah, just the digit part into a computer software. Gets and why is that, Todd? Mm. Because computers can't figure that out. Yes, they'll put ten next to one, next to a hundred, right in line, but and never have three a three number combination because then it becomes a date. Yes, with dashes or anything. Yeah. Or any, yeah. If you have a field one two three, and you put zero one zero two zero three, then you're going to get a date. Ah. Yep, I've I've found like. Letters and numbers kind of work too, to some degree. Like, like if you take the landowner's first and last name, and that's like the sure. first, like A B one two three, like dash one two three. You kind of can get like in your head, you can say, okay, I know A B is this person's name. Oh yeah, that's where that field is. And the bigger the farm, the more you have to do that kind of stuff. Like, correct. It's this farm, so it might be yeah, the brown farm. Let's say so it's B one B two. And I know, Todd, you have a farm that kind of went by, like, farm. They have, like, a prefix and then field number. And I have a farm that we actually separated, like, they're in, like, 10 townships. So, like, their home township is 100s. Their next township over is 200s. And it kind of goes by township what number it is. So you can kind of get an idea where the field is if you know that whole deal. The only, it, only problem with that is, though, when you get, like, I've got a brown and a banky farm, and they're both B. Yeah. Or you get, if you're using initials, you get the same initials sometimes. Correct. Then it can get confusing. It does. I had one this year where the field name is SCN, like soybean system. It doesn't stand <laughs> nice. for that. Yeah. But we took an SCN test on it, oh, and it no. was negative. So that was even more <laughs> ironic that it was one of their only fields to not have SCN. was the field named SCN. So, yes, it's always quite the... I would be curious in our company and even our listeners what the craziest field name is. Like, I don't think we can talk about a couple of them. Probably, <laughs> <laughs> Matt and I know of one of them that, yeah, was... There's one that we uh, we had to tell the farmer no. We're not going to name it that. 
And then we made it a derivative of that word that was yeah. slightly better, but, well, but not much. You're going to tell me that off air, by the way. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, that doesn't help our listeners. But other things that you know we struggle, I think, with sometimes is manure rates with farmers, just not understanding why that rate is given. You know, it's like, well, I've just been always doing 15,000 or I've always been doing this or whatever. And from a planning standpoint, I mean, we go through like this matrix of of uh, algorithms and calculus formulas sometimes to figure out the rate, you know, previous crop, future crop, soil type. What time of year is it? Is it spring? Is it fall? What type of application are you doing? Is it an incorporation? Is it injection? Is it surface? Yeah, it's a happy day when you can just flat rate a few. <sighs> feel like that's not not very often anymore that you could just be like yeah you just go this rate across the whole field it's like yeah. nope you got to do this much in this corner well, and then you get so, to that right especially if you want to go you know obviously if they just aim for the lower rate they can go across yes, it. yes. you can yeah but it, it is getting trickier that way where that is something to ask your agronomist you know okay i'm going to be applying this fall these fields because it's not what, it, what rate in and, and there too some of those you could just you might be able to go just 12,000 on all of them, but it's good to kind of know that and communicate. Because it's not just take, okay, corn needs this many units of nitrogen. Right. Here's what the manure is. Okay, that's the corresponding rate. It's like that doesn't work that way anymore. Right. There's so many other things that go into why this field could only go 8,000. And sometimes it's not the farm that cares as much. It's the hauler. It's like, well, why are we only hauling this much? Yes, like, well, that's a very good point, Matt. Yeah. You're right. Like, that's probably where it's coming from. It's not the farmer. It's coming from the hauler saying, "Why we're here? Why don't we just put?" Well, and especially to them haulers, they got to. I sometimes they got to think we're crazy of like, well, I just I was just across the road, and I was going fourteen thousand. Now I got to go twelve. Like this, this, you know, and they're like, this is the same. And then, like you say, you go through no the. Actually, last year's crop removal was different, or next year's planned crop is different, so that's why they're different, or whatever the reason could be. Kind of similar to that, uh, manure restrictions, like those get very complicated, I think, especially for us. Like we make these big, robust restriction maps, and then you can't read them. They're so pretty, though. All the colors and symbols and numbers and numbers and everything arrows. else. On there. There's just a lot on, like, you need to encompass everything, and you don't want to have 10 maps because it's hard to page through multiple maps. So in, reality, all, in reality, it, like, if you did it right, it, you should have five maps on every field. Well, but like I said, then then I got to look up this map for this, this map, like, and it's right. too much stuff. It's not then. practical. Right. So, it's, so it is this catch of how do we get all the information on a map, but yet not, but then not make it so so much information that it's hard to process. So I would agree with that is knowing, just knowing what all those symbols mean is a very good thing to communicate between the agronomist and the farmer of of knowing what a swickma area is and concentrated flow, row ditches, different soils, WPR, bedrock, kind of that stuff and knowing the big heavy hitter, you know, like wells. That's really easy. Guys seem to understand that one. That has gotten a lot that one's easier easy. and better. Easy to understand, but they're hard to find. Yes, true, true. But but communicating that information of okay, this is what it, what all these things mean, and making sure too in the if as the farmer or the manure hauler you don't know that you stop and ask is also a big part. The easy part there, and DNR said this too, is if you stay your distance from the field border around that house, 
even if the well is on the field edge, obviously, right, you're still going to be... You're okay. But normally they, sh- they shouldn't be on the field no. edge either. But no. yes. No. So even didn't been doing this a long time and restriction maps still get me i have to well what's hard with restriction one of the things is they change right that's what i was to say and like even looking back at some of the old ones we made 15 years ago and you look at them you're like oh my god these these were terrible so i do think they've gotten better yeah that's just because we had to draw hand draw it was stuff yes right like when i started oh yeah here that's like (laughs) i feel like that's all i did was just draw stuff on restriction maps for like the first year, we gave Matt a box of Crayola crayons. <laughs> we did. He and got a sharpener part. for his crayons, though, in case he needed we a little sharper. Did. Then I upgraded to colored pencils. Yes. What's weird, even it was drawing him on a computer program. Like it, right? It wasn't was, hand draw. It was no, like, it was not. It was like mouse clicks. And yes, I have to download this PDF that has some stuff on it. And then we have to keep adding to it. And that was one of the downfalls in the past is we did have it where not all the late, like some of the bedrock you had to add and some of the, so now in general, one of the benefits is, is it's pretty much all the layers are there as an option. Road ditches, right? That's probably the most ambiguous one that's not there. You have to kind of figure that out. Figure it out if it, if it meets the criteria or not. So, yep. One thing that I struggle with is CSP contracts. Like, it seems like today there's less contracts than there maybe was 10 or 15 years ago. But just because NRCS is, like, so, you know, private, you can't just go ask the NRCS agent. It's just some of these things. It's just harder that... No, the NRCS to talk to us, the farmer, which is good. The farmer needs to say, sign off and say that that's okay. And some of these contracts, what I find hard with them is they're they're usually about three to five year contracts. So kind of once you're into that contract, you understand, okay, for the next, this amount of time, I got to do this, this, and this. It's when the renewal happens that... Or it doesn't happen. Right, right. Or yeah, you keep doing stuff and you're like, oh no, we, you know, this is different now or this changed. So some, some contracts have some fields in and some contracts have other fields in and oh, well, we... We can't put this field in or these sets of fields in this contract because we had it in last contract and it's double dipping. And you're right, too, Bill. It's not like every field is in every contract, right? And then NRCS uses like track numbers and field numbers. And going back to field names, I don't know any farm that uses tracked zero or FSA. No, they use the acres part on FSA and stuff, but the tracked and field is very rare. I I can't. I think there was one farm I had that we tried that too, and it it got so confused. There was a time like early when I just started working here like 05, 06 because you know if those FSA maps are like you might have one field and it's got 32 different FSA fields in it. Back like 05, 06, somewhere in there 07, NRCS actually let the farmers go in and like okay this 100 acre field we run as a freaking one field like Take out the seven FSA fields and let's make Just it one. one field. And they actually let them do that. I wish they we would do that. Maybe they are, but no one said anything to me about that. But that would be something too to revisit that at some point. But just the CSP contracts because. Like I said, there's a lot of farms that have some acres. It's not just the farm is in or it's out. It's like this matrix again. There's a lot of matrix going on. Yeah, I also. I feel like either they need, like the farmer needs to give them permission to send us the information too, 
because they always seem to send the information to the farmer, and then the farmer loses that letter somewhere in the winter, because I don't know when exactly they get mailed out, but it's like usually around planting time, like, oh yeah, are we still doing CSP? Yeah, I think so. Did you get your letter with the information? Uh, yeah, I'll look for it. And sometimes... And then the NRCS is never like, seen again. well, I sent it to the farm. Didn't they tell you? <clears throat> it's like, well, yes, but you sent it to them in February, and it's somewhere buried in their desk after somewhere. three months of other things piled over it. Right. So um, last one here is basically like the general topic of traits, herbicide traits is kind of especially. Um, soybean and corn now with... with um, Enlist, extend. Now we, you know, we've talked plenish a couple times on this podcast, which that's back to Rona Bready. Matt, your next story is going to be about some beans that are conventional beans. Obviously, there's a little bit of push in certain markets to go back to conventional corn. Whether that's, you know, you don't want to have Roundup on your farm anymore, or just it's cheaper to go back to conventional corn and that program. So I think just the communication between farm and agronomist and the person who's spraying co-op, whatever it may be that make sure you got that right because there's financial consequences if that is not communicated correctly. Yeah. I think we all have stories of one way or another. Anytime you're planting a mix of traits or untraded things with traded things, it just, there's going to be something somewhere in a given year that's going to happen, whether it's, oh, we forgot to spray this conventional stuff, now the conventional stuff's up, and that takes away a number of options, or... Or we had conventional corn, we switched fields, and we needed more seeds, so we just dumped around up on top of the conventional, yep. we don't know where the start and the stop is, you know, all that. It, what What's wild to me with this is I, I thought it would get easier... But the more, which I don't know why I thought that, because the more traits we've gotten, the harder, you know, and we go back to like extend and enlist sounds so similar that it made it really difficult, you know, that we're like, well, which is which and what can I do with this one? And sometimes they get, so, so it's just getting to make sure that it's communicated. I mean, even on Roundup Ready Alfalfa, there's times where, you know, I've had it where and that one's hard because you planted it, say, three years ago. Right. And you're trying to remember, like, when did we make that switch where now we're not planting around a pay anymore? And where, you know, and just, just stuff with that, too. So it, it, it's, it's making sure traits are getting written down, keeping seed tags, and then, yeah, making sure it's being communicated of what, well, what not, actually got planted where. Well, not even, Todd, like the whole early time, like when you can kill it and then you don't have a crop, but like, when you get to the fourth year that alfalfa stand and you've like, oh yeah, that's Roundup Ready, so you go to kill it, <laughs> right? Yep. And it doesn't, and it doesn't well, die. That's one. This you, year we're talking on Liberty, so soy, so volunteer corn and soybeans, and instead of doing enlist, we're going to spray Liberty this year on Liberty, some of them. Liberty, Liberty, yes. and that should kill the volunteer corn if it's not Liberty corn, right? However, some of it. Well, you know, so then we're going back to last year, like, was this Liberty Corn here? Yeah, so it, just having good records of that and then communicating that to all the channels that need to know that is is very important. I think, if anything, from my standpoint as an agronomist, I would just stress to farmers, save your seed tags. 
Like, I yeah. don't care where you save them. If you want to put them in a folder, if you want to put them in your tractor somewhere, in a toolbox somewhere, just save the seed, save your seed tags, at least one of them. How many times, like, oh, yeah, I, now it's different because we have boxes, but in the days when we just had bags, oh, yeah, I burned all the bags. Oh, crap. You didn't save one seed tag? No, I burned it all. It's not even like the IRS. You don't have to save them for seven years. <laughs> but just well, the hayfields, maybe. But yeah, the corn. At least like, two years. Like Save this year's and last year's would be great. You know? And not to see, some farms are great at that. So I'm not trying to go that route. But just in general, save a seed tag. That Then there's no question. Like, right. okay, this is what it is. Because in maybe. reality... Sometimes the farm, oh, I thought I planted in list, but actually I didn't because now that we see the seed tag, it's not. Maybe we need, we just need more of the seed company signs to put out there. Like, this is what's in this field. Right. <laughs> like, we don't care how it looks. We just need a sign saying Sign-in. this is what's in this field. Field entrance. Right, so then right when there. the sprayer pulls in, it's like, oh. Exactly. Like, hey, this is... and. Put the trait in really big letters, like if it extend, enlist, whatever, roundup ready, put it in really big letters so they can read it from the cab of the sprayer and be like, I should not spray this field because I have this in the tank. I think you're right, though, Todd. I thought this one was over time. Like, I, we would just, this would be way easier. Right. Like but, I said, more of because we know there's all these traits and you got to manage them and it'd just be easier. But the more traits, more problems. So, more at least, money, more I think problems. it was like, because it was in list, right? And list corn and beans came out the, together, I think, right? Pretty much, yeah. Because it would have been worse the other way of like, we're going to have enlist corn and enlist beans, but if one came out before the other, you're like, oh, I can spray both. Like in some ways, you know, that still happens, but it, it's they're not universal. We can't just spray all of one thing on. Like that was the, the one nice thing about Roundup. Once everything became Roundup ready, you could spray Anything that wasn't conventional with Roundup. Right. We don't have that within List and Extend. It's, well, these are just the beans. Kind of got yeah. these two broad, different broadleaf herbicide traits, right. right, that you can't mix. And Liberty wasn't on corn or beans, really isn't, like, this huge market share that that's what you're screwing up with the Roundup. Because, again, we got glyphosate and glufosinate. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Dang it, you know. <laughs> but round Liberty isn't as big of a market play is what this enlist extend thing has gone to yes yep absolutely all right so there you go there's some things to think about as you're communicating with whether it's you're a farmer talking to an agronomist agronomist talking to your farm co-op person talking to both things to think about and make sure you're on the same page with as you move through the cropping season every year so next we'll move into our spotlight for today So we touched on this a little bit in some past episodes, but high oleic beans are kind of the the new thing. And this time we've got a expansion of that market as Missouri soybeans have a non-GMO high oleic soybean trait expanding its presence this winter. So according to Brian Stobaugh, he says that New maturity groups for northern varieties of soy laic are available for producers. Northern varieties are coming out of Minnesota, North Dakota, Wisconsin, and early maturing varieties coming to the northeast. 
Those are for dairy production in New York and Pennsylvania. Stobas says soy lake. It was the first commercially available high oleic soybean trait in the northern United States, and they're working to get even earlier a zero maturity group with the help of North Dakota State University. So these high oleic soybeans produce a healthier cooking oil that stores well, so similar end goal to what we talked about with the plenish in uh, past episodes. So this soybean trait was initially created at the University of Missouri, licensed by the Missouri Soybean Merchandising Council, and developed with the help of the Soy Checkoff, land-grant universities, and private companies. So just good, good segue there from talking about traits. Well, this one has no traits. <laughs> <laughs> Don't spray it with anything once it's up. All right, now we'll move into our Ag History Minute. We're approaching Christmas. Let's talk about the first Christmas tree farm, which was planted by New Jersey entrepreneur W.V. McGaillard. So he sowed the seeds of a cherished American tradition. Farmer, developer, and entrepreneur from New Jersey, he planted the nation's first Christmas tree farm in the village of Whitehorse in Hamilton Township in 1901. McGaillard had hoped to turn some rock-filled land on his property into a profit. This real-life Father Christmas tree instead changed the way a nation celebrates a favorite holiday. So he took a pretty big gamble, yet showed people you could successfully grow trees on land where you couldn't grow traditional crops. According to National Christmas Tree Association salesperson Jill Sidebottom, he seeded his pioneering evergreen plantation with 25,000 Norway spruces and 5,000 saplings that he purchased from a Mr. Charles Black of Highstown, New Jersey, according to information provided by Hamilton Township historian Jeffrey Gurr. McGillard sold his trees for a dollar each when they were first ready around 1907 or 1908. Farm had... Ten acres of gravelly field in which it had become impossible to grow a profitable crop. And so he went to Christmas trees with it. The risk and innovation lit up American agriculture like the Griswold family home on Christmas Eve. Do you think people complained about a dollar Christmas tree back then like they do today about a $70? dollar for a tree. I could go grow my own and cut it down. Well, in 1907, that was a lot of money. Yes. Yes, True. That might be a whole week's wages on a Christmas tree. The U.S. today boasts 1,500. Thousand Christmas tree farms. Americans purchase about 30 million trees each year, and almost all of them are raised on farms. So, where where would they if they're not farm raised? Woods. I mean, that's okay. I would consider that pretty like a natural grow. Yeah, right. Like not planted in rows. Right. So, what's a tree cost? Seventy bucks. Now I would say the running. Yeah, yeah. Seventy is pretty fair. Yep. It's. That's been crazy because there's cities now where they're charging like 200 bucks a tree, I'd heard. It's like, holy man. Is that too crazy? So it's... Well, just think of like the Rockefeller Center tree. Like, oh, God, oh, that yeah. thing's got to be nuts. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or even like what's that Lambo? Like what does that cost? That one seems smaller this year or something. A couple but thousand? That one came out of somebody's yard this year. Did it? it? Okay. I, I feel like I'm surprised I they don't just plant like, a tree there, like a big evergreen. Well, that's the new thing now is... Um, yeah, right. The, the beginning... Where you... You have a potted tree instead of cutting down the tree. Oh, and then, and then once the tree gets too big, it actually gets planted then out into a field. So you could have the same tree for like 
three or four years until it, it stays in your house all year long. No, no, you take it back to the like a nursery. Huh. You like rent it. Yeah, kind it's like of. a rent a tree type thing. <laughs> I know how much hassle of four pine trees that were four foot tall I had that were like still the root balls. How much hassle I had moving those from the truck to the uh, no, no thanks. Yeah, no, it, it definitely would not be an easier. Even just moving the tree in and out of the house, like you know, a lot of the places bale them now where they're right. all like tight and you just unwrap them. And so getting out is harder than getting in, but yeah, if you had to move a pot with <laughs> with soil, tree, 300 yeah. pounds of soil, yeah, to come with a pallet and a pallet jack, hopefully, because Christmas trees in the garage this year, kids, we could barely get it out of the truck. All right. Thanks, Matt. And thank you to all our listeners out there. Please subscribe to the podcast and tell a farmer friend. All you need to do is search Tilt Talk Radio in Apple Podcasts or on Android. Go to an app like Google Podcasts or Podcast Attic. You can also listen on your smartphone or br- smartphone or computer browser. Go to tiltag.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook or X at Tilt Talk Radio. All right, now it's time for some cool beans. That's corny. So cool beans? Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Our cool beans this week, David Hula hit another new record corn yield with 623 (sighs) bushels per acre. That's crazy. He now thinks that 900 bushels to the acre is possible. So he is a corn grower. Excuse me, if you're not unfamiliar, in Virginia, he's the reigning National Corn Growers Association National Corn Yield Contest champ, say that 10 times fast, hitting a new national record of 623.8439 bushel. In 2019, the Charles City, Virginia farmer set a national yield record at 616.8439. That's ironic that it's the same decimal point uh, per acre. And four years later now, he's moved the needle once again. So this marks his 12th national High yield victory and his fifth world corn yield record. So just how much potential does he think is out there? If you ask him, he may tell you that farmers might just be scratching the surface. I used to think it was 500 bushels to the acre, and then Randy Doughty broke 500. Then we saw 600, is what Hula told the Farm Journal at the 2023 Commodity Classic. Uh, He said when he harvested the record yield in 2019, some spots in the fields reached 700 bushel to the acre. Still, he thinks 900 is still a possibility. So, I mean, yes and no. I don't, your field averages, I think it's going to be hard to get up that high because as we know, the core growers plots are small areas that are. 1.25 acres you have to harvest. Yeah. So. But still, it is cool. It's it's in a twenty-acre chunk. Yeah, yeah, ten, I think. Ten, ten, yeah, yep. And I have one grower that's done it for like five years, and we've slowly inched up. This year, we hit our record at two ninety-two. So it's pretty. That was pretty excited. So, his goal was three hundred. I think it's a lot of people's go- like. It, I would say like ten years ago, hitting two hundred was a big deal. Now, right. Now it's probably shooting for three. And if you get three and a quarter, then you have to redo it. Right, because to make sure, they got to like certify it. Yeah. Kind of, right? Yeah, take a picture of you like holding a tape measure and all they count ears within the space. And yeah, if you have to do it twice. If so. you hit 600, do you have to do it three, three times? times? No do you have to idea. harvest the whole part? I have no idea. 
I don't think Wisconsin's going to hit that. <laughs> yeah, it's Virginia, uh, or I think Doughty's in Arkansas. They're different. Or Georgia, somewhere down there. I can't. I I saw him speak a, a year ago, and I can't remember exactly where he's from, but somewhere in the south, yeah. Down there, it's a lot different than trying to do it up here, so. All right, and our other cool beans this week, because, well, it's Christmas, and we don't want to give you any negativity during the holiday season, is the voters that chose... UW-Madison's commemorative ice cream flavor for the 175th anniversary, also known as a demi-semi-septicentennial. It's a big word. It is a big word. So UW-Madison Chancellor Jennifer Manukin talked to the folks over at Babcock. It's a Babcock ice cream, right? Oh, yeah. Babcock Hall Dairy Plant and... The chosen flavor was 175 s'more years. Uh, obviously, the main ingredient there would be s'more. S'more of what, you ask? Well, <clears throat> graham cracker, marshmallow, and chocolate flavors. So the other candidates, which I think we mentioned uh, while the voting was going on, were demi-semi-confetti, demi-semi-sweet centennial, and flamingos on the hill. So it's crazy to think 175 years have gone on with UW-Madison, but they're hoping for 175 more. So Todd, do you ever not go to Madison and go to Babcock? Or? No, we try to actually, yeah, get, yeah. <laughs> or get their ice cream at Memorial Union. Right. But they're, because they were working on Lind- like the road right ahead of it. They were oh, it's construction. Trash Is now. it still trash? Yeah. yeah. So that makes it harder. But it's still, it's, it is good. I, yeah, it's really good ice cream. It it helps when you have a daughter that's touring colleges. Sure, it's a good excuse to get down, down there, get down there and check it out. We caught a Badger game this fall and walked over. Nice. That was nice. All right, and our wrap things up here with Field Good Friday. So, ag economists are saying the Fed could lower interest rates in twenty twenty four. So there is a tone shift from the Federal Reserve after it held income rates or uh, interest rates, sorry, steady for a third consecutive month, according to David Widmar, the agri- with Agricultural Economic Insights, says there have been gains in the battle against inflation, and they have signaled the possibility of three rate declines for 2024. Says he'll continue to monitor long-term interest rates into the new year. Uh, Long-term interest rates are more impactful on the farm economy than those Fed short-term rates. But those rates have maybe stopped rising quite as much. And so we'll see some potential decline in the way you pay for some of your loans this next year. So there you go. That'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So this week we talked pitfalls in communication and how some topics are just kind of hard to get right every time. In our spotlight, we looked at some high oleic bean traits that will be expanding their market share this winter. Ag History Minute, we talked about the first Christmas tree farm. Cool beans this week were both David Hula hitting a new corn yield record and UW-Madison having it a anniversary flavor of 175 s'more years. 
And our Feel Good Friday was, of course, interest rates could be dropping in the new year. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.